Great to be here this morning, and before we just jump into the Word of God, I just want to uh, say a few remarks, and one is that you have wonderful pastors in this church, and Sam and Beverly and their family have been a great blessing to our all of our Church on the Rock family, and we have many churches, of course, in our area and in, in a wider increasing circles around our region as well as around the world, and it's great to be part of the family of God. I was just uh, thinking during worship... Uh, that uh, how, how intriguing it is for me to think about the fact that we worked up here 15, more than 15 years ago till 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning, all of our workers from our church to just refurbish that little sanctuary back there, what was the sanctuary back there. And uh, I remember having to, uh, you know, in fact, they're still probably propped up somewhere, the, the, the big uh, garage doors that are, that are being held up by large wooden beams, and and uh, and I remember all that work. And that work in my life was at a time of great trial for me, personally, because my wife had been recently, my first wife had been recently diagnosed with cancer during those days, and uh, so I remember coming and working hard here and working to the bone and becoming and being very tired and driving home, crying out to God for His grace and His help to help me in my time of need and my family's time of need. And uh, the Lord was gracious, and uh, uh, my, my wife ended up going home to be with the Lord, and that's okay. Amen? And I'm just here to testify to you that uh, sometimes life sends you some hard curves, but you know, with Jesus, you can make it through. Amen? And uh, this church's testimony to that. And uh, the, the, the missions that you all do, I, I love Sam and Beverly, the fact that they... They choose out great missionaries, amen? So I just want to encourage you that if you give in support of the missionaries that are in the brochure, you are giving to great ground that is changing lives. In India, of course, many of you know, I don't have to tell you all these things, but I'm so proud of the fact that a church that was birthed through the work of our hands has is, is been for many years supporting the work of God all around the world and right next door. And uh, I just want to say great kudos to all of you. And uh, we were here during your celebration of the 15th anniversary, and it was great. It was great to see everybody. But every one of the people that your pastors, uh, by the grace of God, have chosen out and that you uh, consequently support are tremendous people. In India, the Titus family does an amazing work that has affected most of India with one of the largest seminaries in all of India, which incidentally is the largest democracy in the world. And uh, it's, it's uh, well worth our prayers and our efforts to see God raise up uh, East Indian pastors to, to reach not only their country, but also all the way around the world. Of course, uh, uh, the Drydens who are, have been in now in Thailand for many years and whom uh, we are going to go and do a pastor's conference there uh, just in about another week and a half. We leave for Thailand, and we're going to send them your greetings. Amen. And I know the Drydens, uh, Ralph and Annie, want to thank you for their prayers in, in Annie's recent uh, troubles with her stroke, and she's recovering and doing much better. And praise God that they, they're able to continue on in the work of God. Amen. And so I just want to thank you, the Hatleys. What? What can you say about the Hatleys? I mean, oh my gosh, what a tremendous legacy they've left all over East Africa. And it's been my privilege to be with them and to travel also with Global Advance and do pastors' conferences all throughout East, East Africa. And it's been great to see the work of God. And then 
Uh, there's so many things I could say. You know, uh, my own nephew from Canada was the one who started Agua Ministries in Canada and who teamed up with Pastor Sam and Beverly uh, to, to continue to, to do the work of the wells. And now he's pastoring Church on the Rock in Vider. And uh, that's kind of an amazing story in itself. I wish I could have the time to kind of share some of that with you. But uh, tremendous. And, of course, Mexico Ministries, our dearest, dear uh, probably one of the dearest men and uh, man and woman and, uh, to me personally, Larry and Mary Myers, of which I know if you've met them, they're automatically dear to your heart and the work they do. Tremendous work and great people of God and great men and man and woman of God. And the Threadgills in Haiti, what an awesome opportunity to support. And then your local people. And I know I'm just working my way through the, the thing, but I just want to commend you. Amen. For all of these amazing things, Lori, I just want to tell you for your, your counseling ministry, you know, I just want to tell you, don't be gun shy. You know, sometimes I don't know. And I wanted to say this as a general word to all of you. You know, sometimes life can throw some pretty hard curves at you. It can blow, uh, you know, try to take the wind out of your sails, as it were. You could be excited about ministry and, and your job and your calling, your particular place of service in the church or, or what God's doing in your family or wants to do in your family. And sometimes the devil and the, the circumstances of life can come and just try to take the wind out of your sails. And they can make you gun shy. How many of you can understand what I'm saying? They make you gun shy. It's almost like, gee, do I, should I pick myself back up again? and keep on going. I want to tell you, it's worth it all to keep on going. Amen. It's worth it all. And I want to tell you, listen, if you're going through a discouraging time, you need to get with somebody and just share your heart with them and pray for them and pray with them for your life and really encourage yourself in the Lord and learn to walk in the freedom that comes from just being in the liberty of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Almighty God, refreshing your heart even when you're going through a dry time. I just want to encourage you in that, for you to stir your heart up. David said in the Psalms, I would have despaired unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we can see God's goodness, but we often have to lift up our eyes beyond our circumstances, beyond our situations, beyond the negative things, beyond even negative people sometimes. This morning I was talking to an older gentleman on our first service where I was before I came here. And, uh, and uh, this gentleman just lost his wife of more than 50 years uh, and he is just heartbroken. He's a great man. He loves the Lord. But you know, his wife was a very dedicated, very strong believer. And, and you know, to be honest with you, in some ways, just to look at him, you'd think he was following his wife's coattails in terms of serving the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes one, one, of, uh, one of us is stronger than the other, you know, and, 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 and it was like he would, you know, he loved his wife. He just loved her, and they were, had a wonderful relationship, and she's a godly, she was a godly woman, and she's more godly now than she's in heaven. <laughs> Amen. But, you know, I was asking him today, you know, because he's going through the grief process, something that I can relate to personally, and, and uh, he's going through that, so I always kind of try to check up with him. He sits right behind me uh, in church when he's there, and I was asking him, so how are you doing? He said, well, to be honest with you, I'm doing terrible. You know, it's just awful. He said, I can't, you know, I said, well, I appreciate your honesty, you know. You know, sometimes you need to be honest with God, you know. You know, I love the Psalms in the sense that like David in Psalm 42, and this is not what I'm preaching on, but you'll just have to forgive me. 
I'm going to have to try to be brief and amazing. But anyway, uh, Psalm 42, David says, you know, oh, man, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm just, pit. I, it's terrible, basically. Okay, I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing the New Living Ken version. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I, life is terrible, you know. And then finally, David gets down to the point, he says in Psalm 42, hope in God, for I will yet praise him who is the help of my countenance. You know, sometimes you need to get to that point where you talk to yourself and say, you listen, soul, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Amen. All the Amalekites had stolen everything. They thought he was at the end of the rope. And, you know, then they were going to pick on him. Man, he just encouraged himself in the Lord and led his people through that that terrible and uh, awful time and brought them forth to victory. So I want to encourage you. Lord, I want to encourage you. Amen. You know, at what point in your life did you suddenly get gung-chai and decide that you were just going to kind of lay down? Don't do that. I just want to encourage you. Man, there is freedom and there is joy in Jesus despite what you are going through. No matter how difficult it is, there is life in Christ Jesus And sometimes we just need each other. You know, the human tendency is to just uh, withdraw whenever you're going through tough times. And you feel like you've been shot at, so you want to hide. I want to tell you, you need that's the point. You need to reach out. You need to reach out to your pastors, to your counselors, to your elders, to your friends that love Jesus. And, and just pour your heart out before God and pray. And let somebody disciple you and help you through that problem. Amen? Let's pray together. And I want you to pray with me, and I'm going to pray that the Lord will just encourage your heart. Father, I just pray today, Lord, for a great encouragement to your children, Lord Jesus, even as Sister Beverly prayed earlier, Lord, for those that are of a broken heart, Lord. I pray, God, for your settled peace, Lord, for your healing touch, Lord, for there to be a reinvigoration, Lord, of vision and purpose and desire and dreams. Lord, help us not to lay down the dream of God for our life. Help us, Lord, to just reflect fresh it, Lord, and to walk in you, and Lord, to receive the joy of Jesus in our hearts, and to walk in the liberty of the Holy Spirit, for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Lord, you give us access by the blood of Christ into the very throne of grace, where we can find grace and mercy to help in our time of need. And Lord, for a a number of us here, Lord, it's our time of need. And so we ask and call upon the great reserves of heaven, Lord, God, that you're by your spirit and your word would so strengthen your people and you would cause the church, even this very body, Lord, to flourish in the strength and the freedom and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray it in the name of Jesus. I pray your word will go down deep in our hearts, Lord, and bring encouragement to our lives as we serve you together in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, this is Missions Month in your church, and uh, as Pastor Sam said, the missions is close to my heart and never leaves my heart. In fact, uh, even local missions never leaves my heart. Uh, we just recently planted another church uh, in our church family, a young man. God raised up a young man, brought him out of a life of drugs, and filled him with the Spirit, and gave him a word in his heart, and he just began to launch out and started a Bible study, and God began to add people to him, and that has launched into then we then we just basically God gave us favor and we 
we, we moved into the Assemblies of God building that was in Groves, Texas there, and they moved in and refurbished it, and they're meeting every Sunday, and that's a new church family that belongs to all of us. It belongs to all of you. Amen. And you can rejoice in that, and every day, just about every other day, well, maybe not every day, but certainly many days of the week when I'm driving by your church on the way to my work at Golden Triangle, I pray for you. And I pray for the church, and I pray for Pastor Sam, and I pray for increase and for blessing and for the anointing of God to continue. And you have one of the best speaking pastors I've ever heard in my life, and I've heard a lot of people. And you really need to know the treasure that God has given you in listening to Pastor Sam Sunday after Sunday. The Lord is good. Well, it's, it's as I said, Missions Week, and I'm already down to, I've got to get done in 22 minutes. But anyway, we're going to look at John chapter 4. And uh, I made up a little PowerPoint, and it's probably bad. But uh, you'll be able to at least, I think, get the general stuff. But we're going to look at John chapter 4 because Jesus is basically conducting a missions trip in John chapter 4. I called it well wishes because uh, Jesus meets the woman at the well, you know. And the woman at the well has some problems. Some of you are familiar with the story. And so she comes to the well wishing her life was some other way. She doesn't realize that coming to the well, she thinks she's just bringing her water pot up to uh, just uh, to, to meet her basic need. But Jesus, the Bible tells us in John chapter 4, verse 1, or actually, uh, let's see, in verse 4, you know, verse 3, he leaves Judea and is on his way to Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. He really didn't have to pass through Samaria. In fact, this uh, word indicates that really it's connected more to the purposes of God in the ministry of Jesus where it occurs. It's very interesting. But he didn't have to go through Samaria. That was just the shortest route. But uh, many, many very religious, pharisaical people of, the, of his day did not go through the region of Samaria because there was uh, a great deal of animosity between these two culture groups. And so many Jews that were of a very erudite religious persuasion did not wish to uh, encounter the animosity of the Samaritan people. And so they would go way out of their way to avoid the process. You know, Jesus goes where sometimes it's difficult to go. Amen. After all, he went to your heart, didn't he? Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus had something on his mind. He was on a missions trip. And so I want to look at the scripture like this that uh, he is on a missions trip and we're going to learn some principles from it because God wants to send you not only around the world but right next door. Amen. And so sometimes you've got to press through some of your prejudicial attitudes and some of your cultural anomalies in order to reach people who are not like you. And yet they are like you because they're sinners in need of salvation. I was witnessing to a, a man yesterday in the woodlands who was, uh, he works for the railroad or, or, or a company that supplies cars for the railroad. And I just struck up a conversation when I was actually at my grandkids, uh, uh, one of my grandkids' birthday parties, and we were enjoying ourselves. It was a great time. And I struck up a conversation with this man, and, and his grandkids were at the party. And so I began to engage him in conversation just to try to 
figure out where he was at because I wanted an opportunity to share Jesus with him. And so I began to pick his brain about the train system and how it works and everything else, partly because I'm innately curious, but also because I really wanted to engage him in a conversation and somehow bring it around. Well, inevitably, the question comes out, what do you do for a living? Oh, I got you now. <laughs> you know, so I just graciously told him I was the pastor. He said, well, you know, oh, you know, he says, well, are you Baptist or you're not denominational? I said, well, we're not denominational. I said, but we're like Baptists. I said, you know, we're kind of, you know, and he says, well, he says, you know, I said, I grew up Catholic. He was from Chicago area, and he grew up Catholic, and I said, well, that's, that's, that's good. He said, but I converted to being a Baptist because my wife is Baptist, and, and I said, and I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, okay, I wonder if he was really saved or not. I don't know, you know, but I was so, it was so much fun just to engage him. Later on, he came back to me. He said, well, you know, you pick my brain. Let me pick yours for a little while. And so he began to ask me questions about where I went to Bible college. And uh, he brought up stuff that uh, some, you know, every Easter and Christmas, how many of you know PBS and all these stations, they run all of and CNN and different, they run all these, you know, scholars questioning the veracity of the scriptures, you know, and, you know, and they always discuss stuff that's like from the Da Vinci Code that doesn't really mean anything, you know, and they always try to throw it up as if it's like, oh no, you know, oh, Christians are pulling their hair out because they discovered something that looks like something, you know, and, and they always talk about stuff that Bible scholars have known for years, no surprise, you know. It's really no surprise if you're well enough uh, read or studied or whatever, you know. And so it's not that big a deal. But anyway, I was able to kind of point him in the right direction through some stuff and just encourage him. He said, well, what happened to you? How come you got in the ministry? I thought, ooh, I got you now. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and, but, and received the Lord when I was 10 years old. But when I became a teenager, I, I went away from God and I was just doing drugs and dope and drinking and partying and everything else. I said, but some California hippies that had gotten saved in the Jesus movement came up to where I lived. And in one summer, a thousand kids were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and water baptized in one church. Because of the move of the Holy Spirit, and I was swept up in that. That's what happened to me. Gave my heart back to the Lord and been serving Him ever since. And um, so, you know, hey, he asked the right question. <laughs> he just came to the well. He didn't know what he was looking for, right? And the woman came to the well. She knew what she, she just figured, well, I need some water you know, Jesus was there. He was thirsty. It was interesting because it was at noon, okay? She came at noon. Why did she come at noon? More than likely, most women came in the morning and in the evening. And, but she came at noon. Why? Well, we find out later probably to avoid the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the pressures of society upon her because of the type of woman that she was, right? You all are familiar with that, right? For the most part, if you don't know, you'll you'll find out. And um, and so she comes at noon, and Jesus is there as a man. He's tired and thirsty. Of course, he is the God Man, but nonetheless, as a man, he was at all points tried like as we are, but yet without sin. And so he says, uh, "We come to where the well wisher, the woman at the well, meets the thirst quencher." Amen. And she doesn't realize what's going on. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Jesus alone, though, is the one who satisfies the deepest longings of her heart. And uh, she says to him, well, 
she said, what, where, she, you know, he said, uh, give me a drink. And, and she said, well, she said, why are you talking to me? You know, how is it that you being a Jew in verse nine, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman. Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. There's a long history about that. We don't have time to get into. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you this living water. She said, well, you haven't got anything to draw with. The well's deep. Where do you then get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus said, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. What a great promise he gives her. And you know, so the well wisher meets the thirst quencher. And here what happens is Jesus asks for a drink. Basic needs, the basic need of the woman brought her into a point of conversation with someone about the Lord. Amen. You know, people that are surrounding you have basic needs in life. And those basic needs can often bring them to you and you can answer some of the basic needs of their life and then challenge them with the thing that they really need and that's Jesus. Amen. So with that in mind, I just want to encourage you to be aware of divine appointments because that troublesome person, that person that you would not normally talk to in the store or that you might not have anything to do with because their appearance is strange or funny or a little off or something's wrong and they just don't meet your natural qualifications for normal people. I want you to begin to reach out to them. I want to encourage you to reach out to people that you would not normally like. Because their basic needs will drive them to a place where they need answers in life. And you have the answer if you're a Christian. Excuse me for preaching. Next slide. Barrier breaker. His disciples had gone away into the city, verse 8, to buy food. The Samaritan, we read it. She says, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You know, I want to tell you, Jesus crosses barriers. Amen. Jesus crosses barriers, and so should you and I. Jesus crosses cultural barriers. He was talking to a woman. He crosses gender barriers. He was talking to a Samaritan woman. He crosses ethnic lines. He was talking to a Samaritan woman who worshipped differently than he did. He crossed religious lines. Jesus goes across the barriers. Amen. He reaches out, and so should we. The Matthew 28, 19 Great Commission tells us to go and preach the gospel to every ethnic group. That's what it says in Greek. Ta ethnos, or ta ethne. You must reach out to someone that is not necessarily of your ethnic group. Amen. Peter in Acts 10 saw a vision where the Lord was impelling him to cross cultural and religious barriers to go and bring the gospel to a Gentile and to his family, someone that he would not even normally darken the door. The fact is the woman came to the well at noon. It means that there was something about her that was irregular or out of place. Jesus was reaching out to an evidently ostracized woman. The fact that she was a woman. Men did not speak to women in public places in this culture. The fact that, that she's a Samaritan. The Pharisees regarded the Samaritans and Samaritan women as unclean. 
But Jesus did not accept the religious barrier that others were trying to impose on him. He was freer. He was above. He was from a higher call. He saw a soul for whom he would die. And he left us as an example for missions. And then next we have resource management. Resource management. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that saved you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. But she says, well, where are you going to get this water? You don't have anything to draw with. In her mind, she's still thinking in natural terms. When you first talk to people in a missions context, reaching them with the gospel of Christ, many times they will interpret what you're saying from their own natural context, from the stuff they're going through. And they will miss the whole point. But you need to keep working with them. Because Jesus keeps uh, talking to her and conversing with her. And finally she gets to a point at the end, near the end of John 4 where she realizes and she, she knows who Jesus is. And she runs to town and says, come and uh, see a man that told me uh, everything about me. Is this not the Messiah? And she was all so stirred up about it. You know, new, new Christians make the best evangelists. Amen. Hallelujah. That the whole town came out to hear what she was talking about. And so Jesus' missions claim the superiority of the heavenly water supply. Amen. It's his water. You won't thirst for the worldly stuff anymore. You say, well, you know, sometimes I say, well, you know, I don't know. I, I still get thirsty. You know, I'm not talking about physical thirst. I'm talking about spiritual thirst. How many of you are still spiritually thirsty even though you know the Lord? Well, the thing is, he's not saying you won't be spiritually thirsty anymore for, for me. He's saying you won't be spiritually thirsty for anything the world has to offer you. You just won't take that jump. Amen. You just want the purified stuff, the real stuff from heaven. And then the next thing that comes out to me is my daddy can whoop your daddy. Because this is her answer. This is her answer. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? You know, when people encounter the true Jesus, many times they're going to throw something up like, well, you know, my dad was a, was a church-going man. You know, my granddad, heck, he built that church over there. You know, my uncle was a mason. You know, uh, you know and they start talking. You know, haven't you even read anybody like that? Okay, maybe some of you are like that. I don't know. We all want to appeal to our religious heritage or our cultural heritage and as if that somehow, you know, that's what makes me special. I have this inroad with God. I really don't need your Jesus because after all, my granddad was a Christian. You know, or you went through confirmation or you were baptized as an infant. We appeal to all our Stuff. We appeal to our family background. We appeal to our cultural heritage. But that does not take the place of the fact that you need personally a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I thank God for my Christian parents, but God has no grandchildren. I must personally. And that's what I told this gentleman today when I was talking to him. 
about the loss of his wife, I said to him, you know, one of the things you're going to have to make sure of is that you yourself seek the Lord. Because you cannot, your wife isn't here, you cannot depend on her spirituality. Amen? You know what he told me? He said, you know, this morning, for the very first time, he said, I've done something I've never done before. He said, I got up on the bed and I just started crying out to God. I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. That is great growth. And I told him, you know what? You're like a semi-truck. You know, and you've got to work your way back into life through all 13 gears or so. <laughs> you know? He said, man, I feel like I'm stuck at first gear. <laughs> I thought, yeah, you probably are. And I said, well, I can understand that. I said, but keep you know, I said, keep coming to church. He said, man, I didn't want to come to church today. I just didn't feel like I didn't want to come to church. I said, man, I understand. But you need Jesus. You need the fellowship of, of other Christians. You need people that can encourage you and help you along the way. And you yourself need to seek Almighty God. Nobody else can do it for you. <laughs> okay, you getting anything out of this yet? Next slide, eliminate. Eliminate. Go ahead. Yeah, one more. There you go. Eliminate. I call this after the honeymoons. You'll get it in a second. Jesus, when this woman expresses some kind of aspect of, of interest, Jesus then begins to point his finger on some uncomfortable places in her life, right? She didn't bring it up. She just wanted to come and get water. You know? You know, Jesus will give you holy interruptions. He will, he will, and he wants to make you a holy interruption in somebody else's life. That's part of missions. The divorcee. He says, go call your husband. What is her answer? I don't have a husband. He says, well, you know, you're right. That's, you, you said that right. And uh, in fact, you've had five husbands and you're living with a guy right now. Whoa. What's her, re what's her reaction? Well, I perceive you're a prophet. She gets spiritual on him, you know? I, you know, doesn't she? You know, first it's the cultural. First it's you don't have any resources. Then it's the cultural thing. My daddy can whip your daddy. And then he puts his finger on, on a big issue in her life, and really the issue was one of rejection. Because in this day, a woman could not divorce her husbands. The husbands had to divorce the wives. So she has literally been rejected five times by other men. And this was not like she's living in the middle of Chicago somewhere. She's living in a small town. Everybody knew her business. That's why she went at noon. She was trying to escape the eyes and the, the talk of the town and the talk of the people and the other women. Oh, there comes so-and-so. Can you imagine her walking down the street and going to the market? Yeah, I wonder which one she's living with now. Making her way pretty soon. If she would have kept on going, who knows how many she would have. I mean, oh my gosh. A very sad state of affairs for this lady. Basically, Jesus is going to the heart of the heart and he's saying, you got to get rid of this stuff. He's saying to her, listen, nothing you tried so far has worked. Why don't you try me? The beauty of Jesus is he will deal with your failure. He'll deal with your loves. He'll deal with your sins. And he will bring you out. 
He absolutely will. And I don't care how many times you've been married or not. Or who you're living with or not. Or what you've been through. Or whether you rejected somebody or they rejected you. Or your, you know, your whole family life fell apart. Your mom and dad divorced. Your, you know, it doesn't matter. What matters is that from this point on, from today on, you come to Jesus and you let him just deal with all this stuff. Amen? And you let him love you and then you begin to be discipled as a true believer. You let somebody disciple you and teach you the word of God and bring you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and allow you to grow as a Christian and then you get free. Amen? And free, and, and, and let the Lord just guide your steps. And say, well, what about this? What about that? Listen, you just bring all that to Jesus, and you just bring all your junk, and you just lay it at his feet. And you know what he'll do? He'll love you just like he loved this woman. He'll reach across the barrier. He'll reach across your ethnicity. He'll reach across your culture. He'll reach across your past. He'll reach across your, your progeny. He'll reach across your, your history. He'll reach across, and he will love you, and he will pour into you rivers of living water, and water that will spring up as a well of life in you, like Isaiah promised. Water is going to flow in the new covenant era. Water from heaven flows like a mighty fountain coming down from the throne of God, down the mighty river of God. All you need to do is taste and drink it. Imbibe Christ into your life. Amen. Glory to God. Eliminate. You know, you've got to stop dating the things. You've got to start loving Jesus and quit dating the junk the world wants to throw at you. Amen? After the honeymoons, there is life. Amen? Glory to God. Oh, that's the promise of, of Jesus, of Christianity. There's hope. There's hope after failure and hope after rejection. There's hope. It's in Jesus. And you can do it with a smile on your face. Love people through their hassles and their problems. Amen? Then she gives them smoke and mirrors, what I call smoke and mirrors. I think you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You think Jerusalem's the place you ought to worship. She still doesn't get it. Okay? She still doesn't get it, but Jesus is going to press through the religious front. Many people, when you talk to them about their need for Christ, they'll throw up, again, religious smoke and mirrors. You must be a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You should have seen the smoke from all the sacrifices they offered. You know, there's still a Samaritan high priest to this very day. And she's talking about, you know, Jesus' missions cut through ancestor worship. Amen? You can hear her say, my great-grandpappy worshipped here. You should have seen all the good times we had, all the smoke from the sacrifices, all the churches we built. All the community good our church did, how long our church has been here. I went to camp there one summer. I went through confirmation. I was baptized. I belonged to the KC Hall. My granddad was a Mason and my mom was a Baptist. I'm in. No. You have to lay it all down and say, I repent of my sins. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and I want to make him my Lord and receive him and believe and trust in him and lead on him as my Savior. You've got to come to a place where you do that personally. Glory to God. 
he cuts through the religious facade. And then we have MapQuest, you know. This is kind of along the same line, you know, where she says, you know, is it that mountain or this mountain? He says, listen, it's neither. The Father seeks us to worship him. The day is coming they'll worship me in spirit and truth. It's not tied to geographical locale. That's why Jesus is the same in Kenya today as he is right here. Amen. He is the omnipresent God. It's not about your location. It's about whether you're located in him. Amen. It's not about where we worship, but it's about true worship in the heart and tied to truth, lived out in a life of holiness and obedience to Almighty God. And then we have cracked pots. And I'm almost done. Cracked pots. Jesus wants to minister to those who carry cracked pots. Amen. And to cracked pots. <laughs> when she encountered Jesus, she finally started to get it. I love the fact that Jesus is patient enough to work his way through all of these different barriers that she keeps throwing up in his face, you know? And so should we be. Jesus' missions always are patient to win people to Christ. You, know, you can preach the gospel, but if somebody keeps on coming back into your life, it's because they need Jesus. And you need to witness to them and and. Encourage them again and talk to them about the Lord again. And then they might get mad and they'll walk away. But then they'll come back around again. Pretty soon they're, they're going, will you pray for me? They have no idea what you're doing, you know, for the most part. Will you pray for me? Man, pray for me. I don't feel good. I need help. Well, man, love them through it. And believe God to just open their eyes. Amen. Well, finally her eyes opened. She left her water pot representing her old ways, her old ability to resource her life. And she grabs Jesus, come see the Messiah. Jesus' missions help people, amen, to leave their old coping mechanisms behind. Amen? God talked about two evils in Jeremiah's day that people had committed they had forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water, and they'd hewn out their own cisterns, which were broken and could really hold no water. These cisterns or water pots have the appearance of expediency and efficiency and efficacy, but they could not hold any real visitation from God. Only the human heart can hold the real visitation of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, the next generation. The beauty of what Pastor Sam is doing today in Kenya and in the, in the coming days as they do a global advanced pastors conference, leaders conference, is they are raising up the next generation of believers. It is not enough for us just to live for God in our generation and then not have somebody who's going to follow in our footsteps. I love the fact that the scripture shows that Jesus himself had a mighty revival, if you want to characterize it that way, in the cities of Samaria. And many people came to Christ. They ran out of the villages to see and hear about the man, the one, the person that the woman was talking about, come see the Messiah. And they believed on, on him, not because of her word. <laughs> I guess they were still rejected to some degree. They believed on, her, on him, not just because of her word, but because they saw the Lord themselves. 
All right, so we say, well, Jesus had a massive turning and belief in him. His disciples were amazed, and they couldn't believe it. And we don't have time to go into that. But he had this massive turning. But you know what? In just a few short years, Jesus dies on the cross, is buried, rises again, is exalted to the right hand of the Father, sets forth the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and is commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Judea, and where? Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, up to the uttermost part of the earth. Okay, so here's the deal. In Acts chapter 8, we're told Philip goes down and preaches the gospel where? In Samaria. And he has a great revival and amazing miracles happen. So here's the key. Even though Jesus had been there personally, the next generation needed to hear about Jesus and experience him. The people who were converted under Christ, their kids needed to hear the gospel. This is the next generation. You know, I'm in my 50s now. Been there for a few years, actually. I'm on the other side of, I'm kind of leaning this, you know, well, let's see, am I half full or half empty? I, I don't know. I think I, you know, well, anyway, I'm past the middle point in my 50s. I want to tell you the thing that burns in my heart, both here and around the world, is for you that are believers, you've been living for Jesus, you know the Lord, you know the Word of God, it's for you to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, who are you engaging in teaching the Word of God? Who are you discipling? You say, well, you know, it's the preacher's job, or it's the Bible, it's the Sunday school teacher's job, or it's the, the children's pastor's job. No, it's not. It's your job and my job, individually, as people, as Christians. Our job is to disciple the next generation. Who's going to do it if you and I don't? I've got tons to say about that. But I just want to tell you, Jesus' missions are concerned about the next generation. Amen? So Jesus' missions reach out to people not like him. Amen? Jesus' missions break through the barriers. Jesus' missions teach them that that God is the resource. And uh, Jesus' missions are bigger than somebody's cultural or or, uh, their, their heritage, their natural heritage. Jesus' missions cut through smoke and mirrors. Jesus' missions are not concerned about geographic ge- geographic locations so much as they are concerned about reaching the heart of people. And Jesus' missions are concerned about the next generation. Amen? And so let's stand together. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask the Lord to just make you a discipler. One of the things that's been happening in my life is I began to pray And I began to ask the Lord to put on my heart specific individuals within the church, that young men that I can disciple, that I can meet with on a regular basis and take them through a basic discipleship course to the point where they will be raised up so that they will also prayerfully seek God to find disciples that they can teach and minister to. Amen. Discipling does occur on many levels in the, in the sanctuary at large and in smaller classes, membership classes, whatever. There's a certain amount of discipleship, but nothing replaces that one-on-one contact. Amen? 
How many of you had friends that really poured into your life early on as when you first came to the Lord? That's, that was discipleship. We didn't even didn't really even call it that then necessarily. But you are called. I am called. You know, I'm a pastor. I get to speak to a lot of people. It doesn't matter. I'm called to disciple individuals for Jesus. And I believe in God, you know, to raise up the next generation. That's what I'm doing. So I want to challenge you with that. So, Father, here we come, Lord. And first of all, I pray for anyone here, Lord, that's in the status of the woman of Samaria, maybe rejected of men, Lord God, and lost and undone and need of you. And I pray, Father, that they will just come and just give you their hearts and their brokenness and their tough times. And if you're here today and that's you, would you just would you just lift up a hand to the Lord and just say, Lord, I just give you my broken dreams and I give you my broken heart and I give you my past and I give you my future and I give you my rejections. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, do that right now. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me. Be my Lord and my Savior. And as you do that, and as you prayed that, then please make sure you let uh, Miss Beverly know or some of the other leadership here, Ryan and others. And so, Father, also we come today and we thank you for this great church and the missions work, Lord, and I just pray, God, that you would raise us up, all of us individually, as your disciples, as your children. We worship you today, and we bless your holy name. And now, Father, would you just accept this prayer today? I'm going to pray that the Lord would just pour his river of life out on your heart and your spirit and your mind this week, and that you would enter into the freedom and the joy of the Lord. If you want that, just slip up a hand and just point it up to God right now.